Hello, it's Alice Arnold here. Welcome to the Magic Musicals and Theatre Podcast. This week, my guest is Mira Sayal. Now, you might know Mira from being in the Kumars at number 42 and in Goodness Gracious Me, but at the moment, she's starring in Noises Off and she came in to have a chat about it. Mira Sayal, welcome. Hello, thank it's you my very Magic much. Musicals and Theatre Podcast. In case you didn't know what you were doing I, I do. You do know. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> now, I normally start the podcast by offering my guest a cake, but the cake shop doesn't open till 11, and we're doing this before 11, and I'm really sorry. I'm gutted. Because they're really pretty cupcakes. With I'm so the, gutted. The hu- I'll, I'll hang around until it opens. <laughs> the, the, the best bit of the interview, generally. <laughs> but anyway, you're starring in Noises Off, Michael Frayne's Noises Off. I was there on the first night. Absolutely loved it. You must love the top of the show because you, you open the show <laughs> yes, and it's like a play. And tell us what happens then. Yes. Um, well, for those few people that might not know the, the story, it's, um, it's about a group of actors who are putting on a very bad play called Nothing On, one of those sort of 80s sex, whoops, Vicar, where's my trousers, <laughs> farces. Hilarious um, consequences. With hilarious consequences. Um, quite rightly, have died a death, but um, this was probably the last throes of when, you know, the people hawking them around regional reps. So you have this company of actors putting on this show they know isn't very good, but they're all desperate for the work. Um, and as... Uh, there's three acts, and each act is set at a different point in the tour. So the first act is our dress-slash-tech rehearsal. The second act is um, about halfway through the tour. And the third act is the last night of the tour, when things have obviously completely unravelled. So, yes, I start the play in character doing nothing on. The bad sex farce. Um, and you can't feel the audience's confusion, because... <laughs> You can. I, I do pick up some people thinking, is this what I've paid 50 quid for well, to see this really bad, <laughs> terribly written play? I know, because I was very thinking, bad acting. <laughs> she's not being great in this. I, was, I seriously, seriously was thinking, because I've seen it before, but I'd forgotten. Oh, thought, no. She's not being brilliant. The accent's a little bit dodgy. And then you break it. Well, I shouldn't spoil it. But anyway, it, that was the honest... Probably my biggest laugh of the night. It's a beautiful you, moment, it's isn't just it? Just brilliant. Just I loved it. That. I loved it. Yeah. So he's, but Michael Frey and the writer. I mean, this has been described as the funniest play ever written. I think it probably is. But the structure of it is a piece of mm-hmm. beauty, isn't it? Mm. It's intricate clockwork, and you sort of have to hold your nerve a little bit in the first act because it is very much laying down. All the jokes that are going to pay off, you have to get to know the people and love the people and invest in all these actors that are trying their best in order for when everything goes wrong, in order for that really to work. And, of course, you're known... Well, I knew you first from Goodness Gracious Me on radio, probably. Oh, all the way um, back. Yeah, no, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, the Kumar's at number 42. But this, mm. is, this is physical comedy. I mean, it is like a choreographed dance or yes. you know which fast high fast is you know there are doors closing and opening and you know all the typical and people falling downstairs and all of that so how different is that to rehearse something so physically challenging well yes i mean we're all um 
very tired and also very fit. Conversely, mm. I mean, I, I'm not going to the gym. I don't need to go. Frankly. Really? I could have eaten all the cake you wanted to throw at me today <sighs> because the amount of calories you burn up doing it. Yeah, the second act is, um, it's my favourite act really, is when the whole stage reverses and the audience get to see what's happening backstage. We're still performing the play mm-hmm. front stage. Um but what what the audience is is the balletic chaos of 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 a show and lives unraveling, and it's like silent comedy. There's no dialogue, and it's all physical. And learning that was the hardest bit, actually. I mean, we had to think about we had to, we had to think of it as learning a dance. It was about choreography and muscle memory, really. Mm. Um, and sometimes, certainly in the early days, you'd literally come off and and and, and enter the backstage ballet, and I wouldn't know. I genuinely wouldn't know what was happening next. But my body took me there until my mind caught up. So it was like muscle memory. And did you have the full set in rehearsals? Well, you must have had a yes. fairly yeah. structure, big structure Stage management because you couldn't do it without rehearsing on the set. I, mean, I not... think um, our director, Jeremy Herring, that was you know his one stipulation that we, we absolutely had to have the set first day of rehearsals, and we did. And yeah. you're right, we couldn't have done it you needed, that. You needed those doors. We yeah, needed you the door. You couldn't the get them in the... In the <laughs> yes, you couldn't just have them in the technical. No, exactly. No. That would have been a very bad yes, idea. Yes, it was, <laughs> yes. Um, well, as I say, you've had an incredibly varied career, and I remember you from um, from radio days of Goodness Gracious Me, which is mm. where it started. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear, was not, but it was such a success. Absolutely. It went to television. Yes. And then you repeated some of those hugely successful sketches, of course, going for an English, which, how did that come, when did you first think of that one? <laughs> well, um, all credit goes to uh, the, the, the two guys that wrote it, which were um, Richard Pinto and Sharat Sadana. I mean, they literally came in one day with the sketch pretty much fully formed. Did they? Yes. Yes, and we all read it, and we all went, God, that's brilliant. But we had no idea it would become the classic that it has. I think there was something about it that really captured and encapsulated um, everyone's imagination because the Indian restaurant was a situation that everybody knew. And it was one of those very simple reversal sketches where you just hold up a mirror to someone else's mm-hmm. behaviour and go, guys, you think we don't notice, but we do. And this is what a lot of us have been putting up with. And here you are, reflected back at you. But also, I mean, I, to be fair, in the show, we, we also took the mickey out of ourselves on, you know, many levels all the time. I mean, that's the point of satire, to, you know, poke fun equally at all of our foibles. <laughs> but I guess that was the first time that a, a comedy about British Indians was made by British Indians. Yeah. You know, that was, that was the point of it. Absolutely. And I think... That probably changed things quite a lot. That was the first time it was like, oh, I see what, as you say, holding a mirror up to ourselves. Mm. But but also, as you say, laughing at yourself, but coming from the British Indian community, yeah. not from outside it. Exactly. I think um, you can't underestimate how important it is to be able to hold the power of a punchline and not just be the butt of the jokes all the time, which we were for many years. Um, looking back on a lot of those 70s and 80s comedies, they're sort of almost unwatchable now. Um, but at the time, you know, we watched them and we had a strange gratitude that at least there was somebody that looked like us on telly, even if they were having the mick taken out of them. Because Did you? Of that Did you accent. think that? We'd, we'd still watch it because it was better than nothing. Right. Feeling uncomfortable, but going, well, oh, well, at least there's someone. We do exist then, hello. But 
I think the difference between our parents' generation and our generation is that our parents' generation would feel gratitude. Our generation would go, uh-uh, we have to live here and we're not putting up with that. And actually, you don't get us. All of our influences are British. We are British. You know, my comedy influences were all, you know, Monty Python and French and Saunders and Victoria Wood and, and great writers from America, all of the East Coast writers, Saturday Night Live. I mean, that's where we came from. It was nothing to do with Indian comedy. It was very much British comedy filtered through our immigrant sensibilities. Mm. And it was a unique voice. And I think people responded to that. So talking about your your roots, and, and you wrote a book called Anita and Me. Mm. And that's now on the school and university syllabuses. Did you think that was going to happen? This is an autobiographical account of your childhood of growing up as a British Indian. Yes, in the black country, in a mining village. Um, I Semi-autobiographical. I mean, I, the setting and the emotions very much were my childhood, but I've taken lots of liberties with plot, etc. But um, I had such an extraordinary, unique childhood in a in a British white working class community that has pretty much gone now. Yeah. Were you the only one in the village? Oh, yeah, we were the were only, only Asians in the village. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so I grew up belonging nowhere. I was too Indian for the, you know, the white wenches I wanted to hang around with. And I was much too Western for the good Indian girls I was growing up with. And um, that's the, when you're little, you hate that because you want to fit in. But of course, as I grew up, I realised it was an absolute gift to not belong anywhere because I think that's a prerequisite for being creative, that actually it's much better that you're slightly outside of everything because you see the bigger picture. And you're married to Sanjeev Bhaskar, mm-hmm. who is also a hugely successful writer, performer, comedian. Um, now, here's the thing. Yes. You've got a CBE, he's got an OB, mm-hmm. and I just wonder how that works in the house. Oh, well, I only make him bow once a day. Okay. Which I think is fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I'm the one who gets to shout at the postman, get off my land, which I enjoy, and that's a daily <laughs> ritual. Um, <laughs> no, it is quite funny, actually. I mean, who, uh, you know, there's a bit of us that just goes, this is crazy, isn't it? We're the kids of immigrants. My dad was in a refugee camp. I mean, one after partition, 13, right. he was a literal homeless refugee. So you think one generation on to be going to the palace to get a little bit of the empire back that actually destroyed his life. <laughs> it's a kind of delicious irony in there somewhere, but I, um, I, I, we both actually accepted those honours absolutely on behalf of our parents and our ancestors whose journeys brought us all the way here and in gratitude that we've been able to make something of our lives and to repay their sacrifices. And do you think it's different now for British Asians growing up? Do you think you've helped change things? I think you have, but... I really hope so. It's a drip-drip effect. There are many of us. There's a whole generation of us that found our voice. You know, musicians like Nissin Sawney, writers like Tanika Gupta, actors like um, Riz Ahmed and um, Himesh Patel. And, I mean, you know, there's a whole bunch of um, British Asians that uh, I think spoke for all of us and, and, and I hope have... I hope have opened doors so for my kids they won't have the sort of confusion and all of the locked doors that we faced. I still think we have a way to go. But, um, you know, my, my kids have grown up in London. They take diversity as absolutely normal. That's part of their lives and that's a beautiful thing. Mm. And now you work quite a lot with your husband. You have worked a lot. 
I have, not so much in the recent years. But do you yes. like work? I mean, is that e- is that an easy thing to do to work together? Well, practically, it's a little difficult because of our son. Um, I mean, we've been offered quite a few theatre jobs together, and we would have loved to do them. But um, that's really difficult. Both being out of the house at the same time every evening. I mean, he's growing up now, but certainly when he was much younger, and maybe still now, he's, he's still not sort of you know self-sufficient. Um, Twenty-seven. Well, no, he's thirty. <laughs> right, so. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, so I, we still feel we've got to be. One of us has to be around. Um, so the last thing we worked on was yesterday was the um, Richard Curtis Danny Boyle oh, yeah. movie, which um, and that was manageable because it was really a couple of weeks filming in odd days. Now I really enjoy working with him, but conversely, um, it's it's really nice for us to have our separate adventures and then come back and. Sort of share them, you know. As long as the mortgage is being paid and the money's going in the pot, we're very happy. Exactly. As long as somebody's out <laughs> somebody's there, somebody's going to be working. needs to be out yeah, there. Exactly. Now, noises off runs right through Christmas. Yes. So, how's that work in your house? Oh, what's well, going to happen with that? Well, this is. I'm. I'm. This is the third Christmas in the row I'm working. I know, bad mum. Um, but you know, it is London, and I and I do have my days. Um, so it's not as bad as. Uh, the last job I had, which was out of London. Um, well, do you know what? This was too beautiful a job to turn down. I just and I discussed it with the family, and I said, "I know this is the third year in a row." But actually, they all agreed with me. I mean, even my son, who went, "Mummy, it's so funny. You've got to do it," because he came to see it at the Lyric Hammersmith. Yes, which is where, of course, the production began. Yes, yes. Um, so I think it'll be fine. Um, you know, my son is quite happy to come and hang around uh, as it gets close to Christmas. We're right in the centre of town and he's already said, can I just come and hang around the dressing room and come with my friends and... and go to Hamleys. And go... <laughs> quite right. And I thought, yeah, exactly. Have that childhood. I yeah. mean, how, how many kids get to do that? Of course you can. So I think you sort of have to turn it around and go, what a beautiful opportunity. It's, it's eight weeks more. Mm. That's it. We're done. So I want to make the most of it. And what are your wishes for 2020? Oh, my goodness. Selfish level, I'd like to just get a bit better at netball because my netball's, yeah, my netball's fallen off a bit now. Oh, are you are you going doing that back to netball thing? I've been you playing netball for years. Have, oh, did you see the one for sport relief? Oh yeah, but, yeah. I was meant to do that, but I was on stage, so I haven't played netball since I started this job, which will be eight months. And uh, my shooting skills, darling, they've really gone down. Oh, they've really yeah. gone down. You're quite short to be a shooter. Thank you very sorry, much. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, it's just no. You're so, quite right. I am very. I'm uh, compared to the professionals. I'm incredibly short. Yes, all the all the netball players, especially defence and shooters, are you know to be tall is the hugest advantage. But clearly, you're good. That's well. I was good. I mean, I used to play for the county many years ago. Oh, proper. That's proper though. That's proper. But I love it, and I've played it regularly over the years. I think it's a fantastic sport to mm. get women back into sport. I love the women I play with. I meet women from all ages and all backgrounds. It's a great leveller. So I've missed that. Much as I love doing the theatre job, um, when it stops, I will be able to get back to that. But I've got to do some seriously catching up training. So 2020, yes. I need to do that. Okay, back to netball. Mira, thank you so much for coming in. It's a pleasure. That's just brilliant. Thank you.
was Mira Sahel being my guest on this week's podcast. And if you enjoyed it, you can rate it, you know. You can give it some stars. I think it's out of five, but give it ten anyway. 